Hi, everyone. Welcome to the History Respawn Podcast. I'm your host, Bob Whitaker, and I'm speaking to you from San Francisco, uh, where I'm attending the Game Developers Conference, GDC. Uh, and this year's conference has got a lot of history game-related panels, uh, booths, uh, and uh, roundtables. One of the best sessions I went to featured William Harms, who is the narrative director of Hangar 13 and the lead writer on Mafia 3. And I had an opportunity after that session to sit down with Bill and talk a little bit more in detail about the historical research that went into making Mafia 3, uh, as well as why they decided to set the game in 1968 in New Orleans. And we talk a little bit more in general about the pros and cons of using history as a setting for video games. I definitely enjoyed my time talking to Bill, and I hope you will too. Uh, all right, Bill, thanks for joining me on the show. My pleasure. Good yeah. to be here. So I uh, really enjoyed your talk today on Mafia 3, and I just kind of wanted to ask you a bit more about the historical work that you did uh, on the game. You talked quite a bit about, uh, you know, the kind of why you set it in New Orleans. I was wondering if you could delve in a little bit more uh, about that aspect. In the talk today, you referred to New Orleans as an aspirational city. What about New Orleans kind of strikes you as aspirational, and what drew you and the development team to pick that as a setting for Mafia 3? Sure. When um, Usually in game development, um, when developers talk about aspirational cities, it usually breaks along a couple lines. The first is, hey, is this a place the player wants to visit? Mm. Um, so in this case, you know, New Orleans is an awesome city. Um, even if you haven't been there, you probably want to go there, yeah. um, you know, because it has a reputation of being a fun town. It's a place you go to party. Um, you know, it has a lot of, uh, you know, it has um, long history, obviously, in the United States. Um, so there's that part of it. It's like, hey, does this place a place a player wants to go versus, like, the little town in Nebraska where I grew up? No right. one wants to play a game there. <laughs> um, maybe my dad. <laughs> yeah, maybe. That'd be the only person. <laughs> um, and then... The other part of it, does it fit into, is it, well, sometimes when we say aspirational, what we, mean, what we really mean is, do you believe that this story would take place in this city? Mm. Um, so again, you know, New Orleans has a very long history of organized, New Orleans has a very long history of organized crime. In fact, it was one of the first American cities that actually had organized Italian mafia. Um, so it's, it's this kind of deep vein of organized crime there that we could tap into and research and, you know, we didn't copy anything necessarily, but it just starts as a nice inspirational um, starting point. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a part of that, you also believe that these things happen there. So, yeah. like, um, when we did press for the, for the game, for example, we actually did in a, an event in New Orleans. We walked around the French Quarter with a local historian. Oh, wow. And one of the things he talked about um, at, e- at each stop was what crimes happen there. And literally, like, every <laughs> crime that we have in the game, every criminal racket, uh-huh. happens within about four blocks of each other yeah. in, re- in real New Orleans. So it's, it's also that part of it. Again, it's like, hey, does, would, would Lincoln Clay and Italian Mafia, do they really belong in a place like this? And in our case, the answer was yes. Wow. Like, it's because it's, it has that deep, rich history of organized crime. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of fulfills the, the two things. A, it is the player want to go to this city, and B, when they get there, does it meet the needs of the story and the gameplay? Right. Awesome. Um, 
you know, you'd mentioned just now that you had a professional historian kind of give you a tour of New Orleans. Were there any other professional historians that you maybe reached out to while you were developing the game to kind of get some more context or? Um, no, I mean, we, we, we never really, I guess, officially consulted with anyone in, in that way. A lot of it was kind of uh, self-research and mm-hmm. then also, you know, things that, um, like I said on that press tour, things that um, that the PR team set up. Um, but, you know, I, I kind of unofficially have a, I kind of unofficially minored in history when yeah. I was in college. My sister, you know, taught college history. So I kind of come from that background. So it's super fascinating to me. Like, I really want to dive in. And I'm really interested in learning about that kind of stuff. And Ed and Charles and everyone else on the team are the same way. Right. So on one hand, um, maybe we should have earlier, but at the same time, I kind of <laughs> feel like we didn't necessarily have to. Yeah. Because we just kind of discovered stuff on our own. Right. Right. Yeah. Because you know, like I said, because just because we had a big interest in it. Right. It's like you know, we right. want to get this world right. So. Um, you know, so we just did a lot of firsthand research. Well, part of the reason I'm doing history respawn is kind of be a evangelical, I guess, a little bit about encouraging game developers to reach out to scholars. Sure. So uh, maybe next time. Maybe next time. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, you know, you've like you said, you've got like really long experience with history, minored in history. Your sister's involved in teaching history. What draws you to use history for games? I mean, why is that such a, a um, good setting for you? I don't know how to say this in a way to separate kind of like Mafia 3 just kind of from my philosophical Mm -hmm. viewpoint as a storyteller. But I think if you set something historical, it allows you, it gives you, safety is not the right word, maybe space. It gives you space to examine things that you might not be able to explore if the game is set in a a contemporary period or even, you know, if it's sci-fi of the future. Um, And the other nice thing about it is that and this doesn't necessarily, some people will probably disagree with this, but I also think it gives you a box. Mm. And once you kind of know the box, it, you open up a little bit creatively, at least I do, because it's like, look, our game is set in our version of New Orleans between February and October of 1968. That's a pretty specific box. Yeah. And once that's defined, then it's like, okay, what can we do within that box versus trying to fight two battles at once narratively of like right. where, when and where is this set? What do we want to say? And it's like, if you know that going in, then it's like, okay, here's the box. Here are the parameters. You play as an African-American man, a criminal in this setting. What does that mean? These are the answers to those questions. And then you let that help influence the story. Right. Whereas and I, and if I it's th- fictional, it could go in any direction. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and the other, the other like, and I, and I said this in the talk today, like, I love the documentary stuff we did in the game mm-hmm. and the real world news because it provides that intersection of like you know you watch like we actually have footage in the game of there's a video footage of maybe three minutes after Bobby Kennedy was shot yeah and we actually have that footage in the game so when the player sees that they go oh that's the real world and it helps create the illusion and reinforce the illusion that this game is set in the real world and that these the characters have the same shared history and experiences that we do at least as Americans right kind of gives the player an immediate connection right right there was one instance you mentioned the uh, documentary footage and the news footage. There was one instance where I think it was part of the interview with uh, Reverend James, and he's kind of walking along the side of the street, and it's interspersed with sections from uh, civil rights protests and right. then also Vietnam. It's really powerful stuff. I mean, how did you go about getting the news footage and determining which news footage to use for the game? So we kind of started with with the script, 
So um, I wrote most of the Father James stuff. So it was like what philosophically kind of, not necessarily, and I say I don't necessarily mean specifically me because everyone kind of weighed in on that stuff. Right. Um, but what's the larger message? Like what's his view of America? And then um, mechanically we would shoot the, we, we would shoot in terms of mocap that entire scene. So we didn't like break it up and we shot it. We just shot it as one, one, continuous. one continuous scene. And then as we went through it, we'd say, well, what he's talking about here, what can we, what can we, um, what might fit there? Right. You know, video footage of, you know, some guys returned from Vietnam, a photograph. And at that point, um, part of our production team, actually, if I remember right, it was Getty. Um, we licensed footage from them. Great. So we had access to their online catalog. Wow. And it's, it's exactly what you imagine it yeah. is. Like you type in a search term and boom, here's 500 photos. <laughs> um, so then we did that, and then when we, we'd go through it, and then there's also, there's, not to get in the nitty-gritty of licensing images, but sometimes there's, um, you don't have, like, free reign. Like, they say you can license it, but only within this context. Mm. Um, so once we kind of narrowed that down, they'd be like, look, here's the list of, I don't know what the number was, 200 photos we can use in the game. Here's a list of 15 uh, videos, you know, things like that that we can use. And then working with the media team, part of that is, is pacing and making it fit in with the storytelling and then just kind of picking those spots where it, where it makes right. the, the most impact. So early on, Father James is talking about being in the orphanage and how boys like Lincoln have places to go. And then we cut to photos of boys in an orphanage. And the player's like, oh, that was a real thing. That isn't mm-hmm. something they made up. There's a photograph of it. Yeah, that's great. Um, and again, I think it's really effective. And I also think it helps that the player can see those images and then quickly go back to game footage and then go back to the images and then the documentary. It kind of it gives you something to look at the whole time rather right. than, you know, you get exposition and you just kind of, you know, lose the thread and you kind of Yeah, I mean, off, it, it, yeah, and, and that's the other part too is it like you said, it aids in presentation. Yeah. So, I love Gordon, the actor who played Father James. Like I love that guy. Yeah. Just straight up. Um but even then, I don't want to necessarily watch five minutes of him smoking a cigarette and talking. <laughs> so I don't know. I might have to disagree with you on that. But um, yeah. But you know what I mean? But, but yeah. presentation-wise, like you said, it breaks it up. And basically what it does is it kind of creates little narrative chunks within, within his, his larger kind of quote-unquote monologue that, mm-hmm. you know, that, 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 that um, whatever section he's talking about. Like, you know, there's a bit where he's talking about, hey, there's... There's never going to be another Dr. King. Right. There's never going to be another Bobby Kennedy, but there will always be another Sal Marcano, another Lincoln Clay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, things like that, it's like, oh, you put these images in there and things like that just to reinforce it, and it kind of breaks. It does, like, little storytelling within his larger story. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of wanted to push you a little bit on uh, Reverend James. You know, obviously there's a lot of parallels between Reverend James and Lincoln himself, uh, especially the fact that they're both war veterans. Right. And at least with... Uh, you know, Reverend James, his war experience has a powerful influence on him. But I, I gotta say, you know, during the game, it felt like Lincoln Clay's Vietnam experience didn't seem to have that much of a resonance with him, uh, particularly with this relationship he has with Donovan, the CIA right. agent. Uh, you know, historically, Vietnam uh, still uh, has these problems with segregated units, just like with World War II. So I'm just wondering if you could talk a little bit more about how you saw Lincoln Clay's relationship with Vietnam in the game. Yeah, I mean, the I think Vietnam was the first war where segregation was officially over. Right. But that didn't necessarily mean that everyone was 100% desegregated. Right. 
Um, I think it, it's, it's kind of, that's something actually we talked a lot about because, you know, my dad was in Vietnam, Hayden's dad was in Vietnam, and um, it's something that we, that side of things, like we didn't want to show, there's the stereotype, you know, oh, they're baby killers or whatever. And it's sure. like, no, like these are guys who by choice or not choice, went off and did something at the behest of their country. Um, and so that's why we, we make the point of saying when Lincoln returns, you know, he was, he was a war hero. He was highly decorated. Um, I think Lincoln in some ways, I don't mean simple in the pejorative sense, but I think he has a very simple one-way road. That he, that, and that is what, that's how he determines how he views the world. Right. So when he comes back and him and Donovan have the conversation, you know, Donovan's like, well, what's your real plan? If you wanted to just kill Sal, you go get this gun and spear on some face paint and, you know, we go out for dinner. And he says, no, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to destroy everything he builds up, that he's built, and replace it, make him watch. And then during the Senate testimony, Donovan basically says, hey, it's the same op we ran in, 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 in Vietnam. In Vietnam. Right. If you just go kill the dude at the top, he gets replaced. But if you destroy his foundation, mm-hmm. there, A, there's no one left to replace him. And then by the time you get to him, he's just standing there all alone. Mm. And so, like, we didn't feel like we needed a lot of uh, kind of exposition time. Kind of over the head. Yeah, yeah. and have it be more like, you know what, I literally just got off the train. You know, I've been back for three months. This is literally what I was doing six months ago. We're going to do it here. Let's roll. Okay. And so it was from that point of view. Whereas Father James has the benefit of... Even in 1968, you know, he has over 20 years, 20 some odd years to, yeah. to reflect back on to it. To process it, And yeah. then in the case of his documentary stuff, it's even longer than that. You right. know, it's pushing probably 60-plus 60 60, years. Yeah. Yeah. So he's had more time to kind of realize what, he, what he's doing. And then we also do a little, um, we have optional conversations between Donovan and Lincoln and Father James and Lincoln, where they both kind of espouse different views on war. Mm. So These are the conversations that occur Father James's house. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So, so you go there, and he's like, "Look, this is what we did." You know why I became a priest is because I did horrible things. And Lincoln says, "Well, nobody's crying about some Nazis." And Father James is like, "Well, no. Like, it was total warfare. Like, we bombed Europe flat." Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, whereas in Vietnam, we didn't do that. It was more tactical. Say, so, "Hey, let's go take Hill Forty Six, and then six weeks later, oh, maybe we don't need Hill Forty Six. We'll take." And so, for Donovan's viewpoint, Donovan thinks that Vietnam should be fought the same way World War II was fought, mm. which is basically just carpet bomb back to the Stone Age. We win. We go mm-hmm. home. And Father James is like, no, look. Okay, we won the war, and we, you know, we took out some really bad people who obviously deserve to be taken out. But the price for that is very, very high. Right. Because a lot of innocent people suffer in the process. Yeah. And so, again, we, maybe it was a little too subtle sometimes, but we tried to have... We never want to have a moment where, like, Donovan and Father James argue yeah. about war philosophy. <laughs> but they can both express it to Lincoln right. if the player chooses to engage with that. And then hopefully the player's like, oh, Donovan thinks that we need to, like, put on our big boy pants and, and bomb the crap out of everything. And Father James is saying, no, no that's yeah. not the way. Like, no. you do that, you lose your humanity. Yeah. And that's also reflected in, you know, the player choice in terms of how they, they play Lincoln. Like, you can go totally scorched earth and kill everybody. Sure which is more along Donovan's lines, or you can just go in, oh, I'm going to get the racket boss. I'm going to try to, you know, we have non-lethal takedowns. So right. in theory, you could stealth your way through a racket and just, you know, choke people out 
and then the only person maybe you kill is the lieutenants and capos. Lieutenants and capos, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the Father James approach. I think during the game I stuck with Father James's approach rather than Donovan. Donovan, I stab, he's, he's, I, got, I, he's so bloodthirsty. I stabbed everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think there was something else interesting you talked about uh, today uh, at GDC, and that was this uh, kind of trying to avoid the sand, uh, the soapbox right. approach with history. And it almost seems like, you know, with history it gives you – kind of an easy way to set boundaries for your story, but it can also be uh, kind of a weight on you in that you have to uh, try to approach these things in the right way, uh, but then also you could kind of accidentally veer into the soapbox you were talking right. about. So I was wondering, you know, how did you go about trying to balance those pressures out? Um, at the very core level, and I, I said this a couple times in the talk just because it's really important, is we never, we could never, at least in our opinions, we never wanted to lose sight of what the story of Mafia 3 was. The story of Mafia 3 is about a criminal named Lincoln Clay who gets revenge on the Italian Mafia because they betrayed him. Mm-hmm. That's the story. Now, then you add in the other things like, oh, he's African-American. It's the American South. And I think if suddenly, and the reason we did that is because if you have that very simple um, or straightforward through line, and it's like, this is the story, and, this, and that, that then invites the player to engage with that story. And then we say, this is the world that's set. Um, this is the world where the story is set. And this is how the world views you. And you can choose to engage or not engage with that world as you see fit. Um, like I said, we just really felt that was the best approach. Because as soon, and if you notice, like Lincoln never explicitly really discusses anything related to race. Like he never... There's a few moments, like there's a conversation where um, he talks to Donovan a little bit, and Donovan is the one who says, "If Andrew Johnson would have hung all the hung yeah. all the traitors, we wouldn't be in this. We wouldn't have mm-hmm. this problem." But then Father James makes the point of like, "Yeah, do we de- have to deal with racists? Absolutely. Like they vandalize the church." And then, but he makes the point. He says, "A Calvinist who traditionally hate Catholics would make coats for you boys." Mm. So he's trying to say, like, it's not, it's not one or the other. It's, 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 it's kind of both. And by doing it that way, not having Lincoln going around, you know, expressing those opinions necessarily, um, we just felt that was the best approach. Because then it becomes about that. And I think it really dilutes any, any potential conversation about who Lincoln is or right. the time or the place or things like that. Because then it's so overt then it just becomes that. that it goes from the, being a pulpy crime story to being a history lecture. Exactly, and, yeah. we, and we didn't want that. So, yeah. um, so to us, the more interesting approach is to say, no, this is a story about criminals doing criminal things, yeah. and it's set in a specific time and place. And then over the course of the narrative, you let the characters, and by extension the player, kind of collide with that world and then just see what happens in terms mm. of how the player reacts to it. Yeah, I think you do a really excellent job in the game, especially with the NPC characters, these kind of pedestrians on the street of kind of flavoring in some history but not right. necessarily hitting you over the head with it. And uh, I don't know if you won any awards for that, but you definitely deserve it. I mean, oh, well, that's just <laughs> absolutely a fantastic use of NPCs, which are, you know, I think, by and large in open world games are just... Uh, you know, people that are designed to be run over or sure. uh, murdered, wanton violence. Uh, but in this game, they, they have some narrative heft to them. Yeah, and we wrote a lot of conversations for them. And like I said in the talk, it was, it was important to us. You know, if you walk around, like we're in San Francisco right now. If you walk around San Francisco, 
maybe not to get political, but maybe hear some people talking about Trump. Maybe hear some people talking about how the road is crappy and the city hasn't spent money to repair the road. Talking about the police. Talking about something. the police. But there's also going to be a lot of people who will be like, hey, what's up with the 49ers? Hey, you know, <laughs> I want, I want saw, you know, I saw John, you know, John Wick 2 last weekend. What do you think? Yeah. So it's about getting that mix. Um, and then the other part of it with the enemies, like even some of those conversations, like we made an explicit point to not just have them be so, quote, unquote, like Nazis. Right. So it's like sometimes they have conversations. Like with the first hideout, one of the first hideout bosses you can recruit, if you sneak into his office, he's actually talking to his wife about what they're going to name their child. Mm. So we try to take steps to kind of humanize them a little bit because, again, if they're human and then they express something offensive, offensive or that's racially charged, it makes it feel more real right? versus them just being this kind of evil cartoon character. Right. Uh, so what was the kid's name? Was it going to be Robert E. Lee? Um, it was going to be Thomas Lee. <laughs> oh, Thomas Lee. <laughs> I was pretty close. Yeah, pretty close. <laughs> um, so, I mean, just in your experience with uh, promoting this game and you're writing it, uh, what's been the kind of most interesting feedback you've gotten from players related to history? Maybe anybody from New Orleans who kind of chimed in with... Uh, points um, of criticism, or perhaps uh, yeah. Well, you and praise. I had a, you and I had an interesting exchange yeah. about the radio commercials. Yes, yeah. So, um, which is interesting because so that's an area where so there's this the the one challenge I will say of doing something that's based in history is you need to weigh the way things were versus what's the contemporary view mm. of how things were. Right. So, like you thought the radio commercials were cheesy. Yeah. If you look up on YouTube, they're totally there, exactly the same as yeah. the commercials in the 60s. But from your experience, commercials stylistically are very different now, so they, they mm-hmm. seem really hammy mm-hmm. and, and corny, which, of course, they were. But that was the style back then. Um, so we've had, you know, obviously I had that conversation with you. Um, and then, but, you know, sometimes we, we About suppositories, right? Yes, yeah. The, the harm suppository. Yes, the harm suppository. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so there's those kind of conversations. And then, you know, some people are just, I, I guess at a high level, most of the feedback has just been, hey, thanks for telling this story in this time and place in American history. Because, mm-hmm. you know, for whatever reason, it just it resonates with people. And I think for, for different reasons. You know, for some people, it's like, you know, who are African-American, it's, it's, hey, you know, this is, you know, I have heard firsthand accounts of what it was like to grow up in the 60s. Or if they're old enough, maybe they experienced it. On the flip side, you have somebody who didn't experience it um, or know much about it, and then they look at it and go, wow, that's actually how the, the country was. Right. Um, so we have received feedback like along those lines, um, yeah. which is cool. Good. Yeah. Well, I'm glad my suppository talk made an impression. <laughs> uh, well, so final question. I mean, you know, you wrapped up your talk today talking about how you hoped this game, this experience, encouraged other people to take risk. I mean... What is your own kind of opinion about that? Do you think that this type of game, this use of history in particular, is going to encourage some different types of games coming out? Or, I mean, do you think that's a little bit too difficult, too much work for other game developers? Um, I never want to be the person who says, hey, game industry, you should do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess at a very high level, it for me it boils down to is I hope... Like, I know you're history-focused, so yes, I, I absolutely would love more games that are set in various parts of, of American history or European history, Asian history, mm-hmm. because there's a lot of stories to tell from that, you know, right. that you can pull from that stuff, and that's super fascinating. 
um, and you know non-traditional stories. You know, maybe about people and places the average game player hasn't doesn't know much about, right. or parts more of the world. diversity yeah. exactly, or parts of the world they've never visited, mm-hmm. and go, oh, hey, this is the point of view of these people who live, you know, in this specific place in this year. Um, at a higher level, I just you know I just want to see more game stories that are about something. Yeah. Like again, you know, I, I, now I talk, sound like I'm talking out both sides of my mouth <laughs> because I, I will to my dying day I'll say no. Mafia Three is a story about a criminal getting revenge, but by placing it where we did, it allows these other things to come in, and then it, then the player can look at that and go, hey, you know what, you know, kind of project a little bit and say, hey, yeah. this is what I'm taking away from this experience. Yeah. And I wish there'd be more of that. Like even you know, especially if, if there's a war game. Wherever that's set, like there's universal resonance there right. across across the board. Right. Um, and then the other thing we spent a lot of time doing is just trying to insert humanity um, and have maybe sometimes we went a little too far, but we have deeply, deeply flawed characters in our game. Like there are characters like they hate each other. They can I swear? Oh, sure, of okay. course. So we have deeply flawed characters in the game. Like we have characters who just out and out shit talk each other. <laughs> you know, like there's the scene between Burke and Lincoln yeah. when Burke's working on the car, and you know Lincoln's like hey, says, "Hey, have you ever heard the saying? You know, you get more flies with honey than vinegar." And Burke's response is, "Hey, have you ever heard the saying? Go fuck yourself." <laughs> <laughs> so it's like that's not to, again not to get up on a soapbox or anything and say, "Hey, us," but that's not, that's kind of rare. In video games, because you know, there's a lot of kind of attitudes about how other characters interact with the player character, right. and we just kind of say, you know what, these are real people in the South in 1968. Let's just put them together and see what happens. Hmm. Um, but then, hopefully, over the, over time, then you learn. Oh, well, Burke is this way for reasons, right? And he's lying to you, like the IRA. He's nothing to do with the IRA. He's doing it for Nikki. Um, so hopefully if you choose to engage further with the story, you kind of uncover more of their humanity right. and go, oh, no, psychologically he's just covering for himself and lying to you because he doesn't want right. to, A, involve you in his problems, but he also doesn't want to just overtly just say stuff right. for no, you know, that doesn't help him. Yeah, it just seems like it'd be so useful for the game industry, games writers in general, to kind of use more of history as kind of a template, you know, like you're saying it leads to more uh, realistic-feeling characters. Right. It leads to a more diverse cast of characters, perhaps, right. especially in the case of this game. Uh, and it can, I think, flavor up a lot of these kind of tired genres, like the open-world genre, which I think, you know, you look initially at the Mafia series and you might say, oh, okay, well, it's just going to be another Mafia game or GTA right. clone, whatever you want to call it. And then this game comes out and it uses history, doesn't hit you over the head with it, but it still manages to... To do something completely new with it, so yeah, and like you know, like perfect example of, of having different experiences. My grandfather was a marine in the Pacific, mm-hmm. and he went through some horrible stuff. But Father James had a very different, ex- the real Father James, you know, who fought, you know, that unit that fought Company C that fought in Klimbach. Mm-hmm. You know, they were a segregated unit. They're basically like, hey, there's some Germans over there, go get them. And I think they had four anti-tank guns, and three of them broke down. Mm. But they were like, you know what? We're, we're a segregated unit within the military of a country that doesn't view us as equal. So we're going to prove that we're equal. And, we're gonna, and, they, and they, they did. I mean, they were all highly decorated. And they, they you know, defeated the Germans in that specific battle. 
So it's like not only is war as hell, but then you're also, there's all these other things, you know, via history that seep into that, that in the case of Father James informs his experience of being a soldier in World War II. Yeah. Well, that does it for me. Thanks for joining me on the show, Bill. Thank you. It was my pleasure. (laughs) 